Praise God. I'm going to preach you happy this morning, so get your Bibles out. And go to Acts chapter 12. I'm going to share something with you this morning. I don't know how fast. I'm just going to take my time. Uh, I don't have but six points, but you know how I preach. And so it uh, could take a while. But it's something that's just been on my heart that I want to, you know, I, and it's coming off of uh, Brother Ivan's message last week. And I don't know about y'all, but I had a long week. It seems like I asked the praise team up here, I said, did, did Ivan preach last week? Was that last week or was it the week before? Did I preach last week and I don't even know what I've done? You know, I just seems kind of lost to get out of sync and do that. And so, uh, but praise God, that was a great message. Um, if you missed it, you need to go back and listen to it. Awesome, awesome man of God. And there were some great points that he brought out, both Sunday morning and Sunday night. And so I preached to y'all before him about reminding you that you were supernatural people. If you're born again and Jesus Christ lives on the inside of you, you're supernatural. You have an ability to talk to heaven. You have an ability to hear the voice of God. You have the ability to walk in the gifts and the, 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 the power that God has for each and every one of us. Amen? And you are supernatural. But a lot of times we don't act supernatural. Right? Sometimes we act in fear when we should be full of faith. Right? Sometimes we act in anger when we should be full of love. Sometimes the simplest little thing. If y'all notice that, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's as I get older, if that has anything to do with it. I blame it on that. But sometimes just the simplest little thing can just irritate me. Everything's going great. And then the simple little thing broke the lead on my pencil. Just throw, just sets me off. Hello? But I want to walk in love. I want to be a man of God. I want to, I want to walk in the things of God. So this message started rising up in me. And, and then I'm going to go with it this morning. And, and I'm sure there's going to be more added to it. See, that's how I preach. I start out with it, and I don't really know what I'm talking about. And i got to hear the Holy Spirit, and then he starts talking, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's where we need to go. Okay. So that's what we're doing this morning. So the title of this message is How to Handle a Threat. How to Handle a Threat. Now, according to Webster's Dictionary, a threat is an expression of intention to inflict evil, injury, or damage. It also can mean an indication of something pending. Okay, I want to read the first one again. An expression of intention. A threat is putting a voice to an intention. Okay, but it's never, it's to inflict evil or injury, right, or damage. So I want you to look here. And I want you to see something. A threat is the intention to do something. It's not the completion of an act because it hadn't come to pass. A threat only is the intention. Everybody say intention. I mean, it hadn't come to pass. It's not true yet. It hasn't taken place. It hasn't, you know, somebody says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to punch you. Well, if no punches are thrown, then that was the intent, but nothing happened. So it's not happened yet. Are y'all with me? The devil's great at giving threats. You're going to get sick and die. You're going to die of cancer. You're going to lose all your money. The world is going into a horrible situation, and you're going to be, you know, eating beans the rest of your life or whatever. Right? 
Your kids aren't going to make it. Your kids are going to get sick. Your grandkids. Can I, can I tell the story of your grandkids? Your, 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 your little one that, is that okay? Jimmy and Mabel, they text me one day. This is not the text you want to get. It's not the text you want to get. It said, pray, our grandson quit breathing. I mean, you don't want that text. And I just saw it, and we just stopped, and we just prayed. They were praying. We started praying. The story is, is their grandson was asleep and down for the nap. The dog barks. And so the, the mother goes to check the child. Just thought the dog, you know, like, I'm sure that at that moment she was like, stupid dog, going to wake the kid up. Because you moms know, getting the kid down for a nap, that's a big deal. So she went to check on the baby. His lips were turning blue. Flipped the baby over. Started praying. Did CPR right there, didn't they? The next picture, I mean, I get the text. Grandson stopped breathing. The next thing I get is a picture of him sitting up smiling. So just listen to me. The intention was death. But God, can I have an amen? amen. But God. Yeah. So the intention doesn't always say what the outcome is going to be. It's just the intention. Acts chapter 12. I'm going to show you this. Acts chapter 12. I'm going to start reading verse 1. I've got to read a few verses here, so y'all just bear with me. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about the time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church, then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Okay, so just, just hear what that says. James. James is with Jesus. James and John, the sons of thunder. They're the ones that went to the village and said, Lord, you want us to call fire down on top of this town? Kill them all. They didn't accept you. The sons of thunder. And James gets killed. This is John. This is John the Apostle, John the Revelator, all right? John who laid his head upon Jesus' bosom. These are guys that are right there with Jesus. You with me? And Herod kills James. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and he delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending the threat. The intention, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So Herod's killed James. Now the intention was to kill Peter. But he waited till after the Passover, right? Because the Jews, they were too busy having Passover. They couldn't get out there to see the killing. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I don't know if everybody catches this, but I read it and I'm just like dumbfounded. I'm like, oh, God, can you kill him? The next day, because we're supposed to have religious services today. And nobody thinks that that's wrong. Nobody could have been eating Passover thinking, oh, okay, now the death angel, this kept the death angel and the blood is out there on the door. And, and maybe we shouldn't be killing people, right? I'm just saying that's how far you can get off in your religious thinking. So anyway, they said, okay, we'll do it. So the intention's been issued. After Passover, we're killing Peter. Okay. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping. He's bound with two chains between two soldiers, 
and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone into the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and he followed him, and he did not know that it, what, what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard post, and they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them, them of its own accord, they went out, went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Now when Peter had come to himself, he says, Now I know for certainly that the Lord has sent his angel to deliver me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Now this is not John, Peter's brother. This is John Mark, who you find later in the gospel. So it's a different John, okay? Uh, where there were many gathered together praying. Now, as Peter knocked on the door of the, of the gate, the girl named Rhoda came and she answered. And when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that, that Peter stood before the gate. But they all said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it's his angel. Now, Peter continued knocking. When they opened the door, they saw that it was him. They were all astonished. Okay, just think about this story. The intention was to kill Peter. The church is praying for deliverance, right? But then when deliverance happens, the church can't believe it. And I can't understand why Rhoda was so excited that Peter was outside the gate but didn't open the gate. That just don't make a bit of sense to me, right? I mean, that, I mean, that, just, that just doesn't make sense. That she's like, it's Peter, it's Peter. And then she runs back in and doesn't open the gate. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, ask her that when we get to heaven. But what most people do when the threat is issued, panic sets in. And I'm telling you, even good church people, because even good church people are praying, but when it comes right down to it, it says, oh, he's not out there. He, they killed him, and you saw his angel. They had no faith. Hello? They had no faith. So I just think it's gracious of God that when there's faithless prayers going up, he's still doing something, okay? So even Peter himself can eat. Now, just get this scene. He's bound between two guards, chains are on him, doors are locked, all this stuff, and the angel walks up and kicks him. Get up. And then tells him, get your shoes on. And they took time to tie the shoes, took time to get his, his you know, poncho on, or whatever. Are y'all with me? There was no hurry. The angel went like, hurry up and get up with the camera. No, there was no hurry. The angel just kicks him, says, get up. Doors are opening, chains are falling off, miracles are taking place. Peter said, I must be having a vision. And then it opens up and he's like, wow, I got delivered. You see, he wasn't expecting it. All I'm saying to you is Peter was expecting to die. And he was expecting to die. And he was just like, okay, well, it's my time, Lord. Get to be with you, Jesus. My name's going to be written in the martyr's book. I'm going to get a martyr's reward. They'll kill me in the morning. I'm glad it's with a sword. It's going to be quick. Right? This is what the guy is thinking. But isn't it awesome that he's asleep? That the angel has to kick him and wake him up. 
But most of the time when a threat is issued, what happens is panic sets in and then we stop thinking about the promises of God. And all we're thinking is that looking at the threat and expecting that the threat is going to take effect. That's what we usually do, even as good Christian folks. Hello? Let's go to another one. I'm going to show you another example. Go into the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 17, story of David and Goliath. It's too good of an example not to use. The story of David and Goliath. All right, I don't, let me read some of it here. Um, in 1 Samuel 17, 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered the army together to battle, and they were gathered at Sukkoth, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Sukkoth and Azekah in Ephraim. And Saul said to the men of Israel, We're gathered together, and they camped in the valley of Eli, and they drew their battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, Israel stood on the mountains on the other side, with a valley between them. And the champion came out. From the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span and had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail and he weighed the coat. was about 5,000 shekels of bronze. He and his bronze armor bearer and, and had, had bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders and the staff of, his, of the spear was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and... The dude's big. He's got a lot of stuff on. Are y'all with me? And you know, you get into all these things, and I, I'm not interested in, in the measurements. And you can find Bibles that say different things. But the dude was big. He was over nine foot tall at the short side of the measurement. If you take the, the measurements, and you because they argue about because their measurement was the, the span from your elbow to your fingertips. Well, good gosh. Take mine and bring Chad in here, right? And so which one are we measuring off of? So that's why there's a difference. But he was somewhere between nine, and he could have been as tall as 12 foot tall. He's a big dude. His, 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 uh, the, the coat of mail that he wore was over, over 100 pounds, could have been 150 pounds. The spearhead was 60 pounds, 50 to 60 pounds. He's huge. He's intimidating. You look at him and say, holy going to defeat that right so then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and he said to them why have you come out and to line up to battle am I not a Philistine and you are the servants of Saul choose you a man for yourself and let him come down to me if he's able to fight with me and kill me then he will be your servant then we will be your servant but if I prevail against him and kill him then you shall be our servants and serve us and the Philistines said and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So in the world's way of looking at things, Goliath was intimidating. When everybody in the army of Israel was, you know, average or if they had a, even a big duty, he wasn't nine foot and, and Goliath was very intimidating. He stated his intentions, right? He stated his threat. But you got to understand something. We're not of this world. You've been born again. You're not of this world. You're of a heavenly realm. Hear what I'm saying to you. You're, you know, I, I mean, Galatians 4 and 6 says you're a child of God born again. Hello? You're not normal. We all know that. But even more so that you are born again. And the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. 
So therefore, we shouldn't operate like the world operates. Do you hear what I'm saying? We should not operate like the world operates. A Goliath comes out before us. We don't look like the world looks and size up the armor and the helmet and the sword and how tall he is and you know how much distance of ground he can cover because his legs are longer than yours. But that's what the world does. Hello? The Apostle Paul called it the course of this world. Human beings, I don't care who you are, what country you're from, what, what nationality you are, whereas human beings tend, we operate in what's called the course of this world. The natural man looks at things, he sizes things up, right? I have more weapons than they have weapons, we can take them over. I have more planes so we can outmaneuver them in the air. I have more tactical nukes. Are y'all with me? This is the way everything's sized up. Companies go into a town. They size up the town. What is my competition in this town? If they think that they can come in and cut prices or do whatever's needed to do to have a great business in there, then they'll move into that town, set up business because they know they can defeat their competition. Right? So it works. Course of this world. Ephesians 2 says, in verse 1, it says, And he made alive who were dead in our trespasses and sins, which you once walked according. You once walked. You once walked. In other words, if you once walked that way, we don't walk that way anymore. So what you're trying to defeat in your life is not going back and operating like the world operates or like you were taught to operate or what even your reasoning. Because, folks, I want to tell you something. As a human, you would not come up with a scenario sitting in prison, bound by chains, and saying, ah, it'll be okay, an angel will come in here in a minute and get me out. That's not going to come into your thinking, right? There's things God does that it's not a part of your thinking because you've only lived on this earth and walked according to the course of this world. course of this world says you get sick, you're probably going to die. course of this world says unless you're financially stable, you're probably going to go broke, right? So Paul says this is the way... That you walk, but but you once walked that away. You don't walk that away anymore. And what happens to Christians is we walk that away and we get born again and we get saved, and then we kind of put Jesus over in the little side category and we just keep operating like we did in the world when He doesn't want us to operate like that. He wants us to operate as supernatural people, He wants us to operate as men and women of faith, He wants us to operate as giant killers by the Holy Ghost. That's what He wants us to do. Okay, so then you have to understand that it doesn't make any difference who you are in life. Threats are going to come. It doesn't make any difference how wealthy a person is, how, what their status is, how smart they are. You never get away from the threats. You just have to learn how to defeat them. That's the great weapon. You just have to learn how to defeat them. Now, there's an interesting thing. I got my notes all messed up here. There's an interesting thing. Let me find it. I'm sorry. Oh, I know what I did. Okay, so the first thing you got to look at, the first thing you got to see here, the first thing you have to get down on the inside of you, okay, is the devil wants to take what's yours. But then my question to you is, do you know what's yours? Do you know that you can go back and study this out? It says right there in, in, in 1 Samuel 17, it says that the land that they were fighting on, right? Israel's on one side, Judah's on, I mean, uh, Philistines are on the other side. 
And they were fighting in this certain place and all that stuff, those names, right? And it was in the land of Judah, right? When they divided up all the land, it was, that part was Judah. David, he was of the tribe of Judah. So when they're fighting on that land, when Goliath is standing over there, I'm saying this, okay, this is not in the Bible. It's truth, but I'm paraphrasing here. David could have turned to his brothers and said, isn't that great-great-grandfather's land up there? Isn't that sucker standing right up there where great-great-grandfather shot that buck? Are y'all with me? It was his ancestral land. He was of the tribe of Judah. And Goliath is standing on it, taunting. David said, wait a minute, that's my family land. Ain't nobody talking about me like that on my own land. Who does he think he is? He's taking something that was from us. But my question to you as a, as a child of God, do you know what's yours? Do you really know what promises are yours? Do you really know what Jesus bought and paid for? So when the devil threatens you, if you don't know what's yours, how are you going to know if you're going to fight for it or not? Or you have a right to fight for it? I go by this verse, Galatians 3.13 and 14. Galatians 3.13 and 14 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So right there, if I've been redeemed from the curse of the law, also the way this world operates, then I've been redeemed. It doesn't have any right. You see what I'm saying? I have been redeemed. I've, it's, been, it's mine. I've been given freedom. And having become a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone that hangs on the tree, that the, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon me. If you go back to Genesis 12 and look at what are the blessings of Abraham, the blessings of Abraham was real simple. It's one of those things that I can hang on to because it's really, really simple. The blessings of Abraham in Genesis 12, God said, if you do what I say, I'm going to bless you. And I'll curse those that curse you and I'll bless those that bless you. That's pretty simple for me to understand. What does it mean that God Almighty blesses me? Are you all with me? That's pretty much a general, all-inclusive verse that says everything you need, God's got, and he'll give you. So the first thing, what are you fighting for? Anything that's not a blessing. If it comes upon you as a threat and it's not fitting into the blessing category, you fight for it. Y'all don't agree with me? Y'all just looking at me. Ain't nobody saying nothing. Got no smiles, got no laughs, not no amens, no nothings. Y'all just looking at me. I don't know what you're thinking, right? If it's not a blessing... It's a curse, and it doesn't belong in your life, so you fight against it. It's just that simple. Ephesians 1, 3 says you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So if you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, then you're walking the category of blessings, not curses. So you got to know what's yours. So if it doesn't fit in the blessing side, it ain't yours. I don't care if it's allergies to ragweed. Hello? Or as Ivan would say, I don't care if you have a crooked toe. The second thing you've got to understand, if you're going to defeat this threat, because it's just an intention, it hasn't come to pass yet. And how you approach this threat is going to determine your outcome. All right? So the first thing that comes that I just said is when you see this threat, the first thing he says, wait a minute, that's not mine. I'm over here in the, in the blessing side of the category. So I'm fighting for that. You're, you, you, no, 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 no. That land belongs to me. Health belongs to me. Victory belongs to me. Jesus redeemed me from the curse. 
That's a part of the curse. You can't threaten me with that. I don't care what your intentions are. God has different intentions for me. So the second thing you got to understand, who are you fighting? Ephesians 6, 12 says, For you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Where Your battle is not against the flesh and blood. The devil may be using flesh and blood to bring it about, right? But it's not really that person. It's the spirit that's influencing them. Hello? You got to know who you're, who you're fighting. Yeah, it may be in the form of a Goliath. But it's really the spirit that's behind him, influencing him, that's the problem. Okay? You got to identify that. And say, man, I ain't taking that. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. It goes along with this. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, they're fleshly, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the real battle is can you keep your mind straight? Can you take on the mind of Christ and stay focused on the promises? That's the real battle. So, so just listen. You, you've recognized the enemy, and you say, oh, well, it's the devil behind that. But then you've got to shut your mind up and get your mind straight. You have to defeat the arguments going on in your head with the promises of the Word of God and say, no, 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 because the devil's going to say, no, this is what I'm going to do. This is what's going to happen, and that's going to happen, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. And you're going through this court battle in your mind, running over and over and over and over and over. And you've got to be able to stop it with the Word of God, the truth of God, the 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 factual truth of God's promises that's yours in your life that he bought and paid for. And if you don't stop it, Goliath will kill you. It's the truth. You will be defeated. Maybe this doesn't happen to y'all. It happens to me. But I know people, and I know y'all are just looking at me, thinking I hope pastor doesn't call me out and want to know what I'm thinking right now. Hello? See, what the enemy wants you to do is he wants you to recognize, oh, my gosh, look how big, big his spearhead is. Oh, my gosh, look how thick his armor is. Oh, my gosh, his, oh, man, his, his, his shield is taller than me. That's what he wants you to focus on. Oh, my gosh, that's going to hurt when that big sword takes my head off. Instead of bringing every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ, and bringing every thought into obedience. No, God, your word says this. No, God, your promise says this. I'm blessed and I can't be cursed. And, and this is what you want me to do, Lord. And I just thank you. I'm looking at you, Lord. Where's the angel to get me out of this situation? Where's the angel to open up the door? Where's the angel to break the chains? Where's the angel to deliver me from the prison house? Lord, just send the angel. Whatever you got to do. Okay, the third thing that you have to do is that you have to realize it's just a threat. It's not the truth, right? It's the intention, and the intention may have some validity to it, but it has not happened. So why are you worrying? Because you're looking at the threat, not the promise. Well, I know, Pastor, but it's so hard. It is hard to stop walking in the course of this world and start walking by heaven's principle. Because it's of your nature to just keep doing that. Hello? 
I have said, and I'll stick by this until I get to heaven and Jesus tells me I'm wrong and I'm wrong, but I, I, I declare and I, I believe that this world and all we operate in in this world, we never really get past about a sixth grade playground. Humans, I'm talking. There's still girls pulling each other's pigtails or the boy pull the girl's pigtails or this group's got their little issues and that one's got theirs and then you got somebody else down over there and then there's the outcast over here and it's just a sixth grade playground all it is we just grow up and get older look a little more sophisticated but the truth of the matter is we never really mature much past that it's the way we operate but if you don't control your thoughts and you don't understand that it's just a threat it's not the truth and you don't bring your thoughts into captivity and you don't get that that it's not truly a fact just because it's come against you then you're always going to be defeated and the devil will always continue to come in there. And if you don't cast down the arguments in your mind, you're going to be defeated and you're going to walk in defeat all the time. You'll never have victory. It's when the truth of God's word, that truth becomes a revelation to you. Okay? Because when you look at it in the natural, the threat is scary. But then when you look at the promises, the threat begins to diminish. Have you ever been in a situation? Uh, here's, here's a good one. Have you ever been in a situation where your tooth hurt and so you go to the dentist and you just know they're going to drag out that horrid, wretched drill? And next thing you know, they're going to, and they're going to be drilling in their tooth and you're going to be, they, they say, we're going to deaden it. That doesn't work. I don't know why they think coming at you with a needle this long to shove in your gum is going to bring you any comfort. It doesn't work, and the rest of the time you sit there just gripping that thing, and your feet are just straight. You're just, and they say, going to them, you know, the idiots check your, God bless them, I shouldn't have said that, but they check your blood pressure. What are you talking about? Check my blood pressure. I know what's over there on your table. And so you're expecting this. You go expecting this. You're all tense. You're all there, and you finally come up, my tooth hurts. And so then they dig around and look in your mouth and have their hands in your mouth and ask you questions. And then they say, oh, no, no, you don't have a cavity. There's just a piece of jerky hung in there. And you're so relieved, right? All of a sudden, the thread of the drill and the, all of a sudden just, just kind of goes off of you because now they just needed to floss it. Hello? If something like that's ever happened to you, it's a great relief. When the revelation of God's promise comes to you, it gets like that. That's how you know you have the revelation of it. Because the threat rises up and you just get that revelation. It just washes off of you and you're like, you can't kill me. You're not going to kill me. You're not going to win. That's how you know you have the revelation of it. Okay? Back in my story of David and Goliath in, in verse 23, 1 Samuel 17, 23, it says, Then as he talked with him, there was a, the champion of the Philistines, Goliath, he came out uh, from, the armies and from the armies of the Philistines and he spoke according to the same words and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled and were dreadfully afraid. All of Israel, all of the army fled and only one little shepherd boy was the only one who didn't hear those words in his ear the same as everyone else heard those words and so what I'm saying to you you may be alone in life in your stand up in faith and go forward but if that's what you've heard and you know the word of God you know the promises of God that's what you stand on 
And if everybody else flees, you just say, you know, well, see y'all later. Because David did not see it that way. Because verse 26 says, And David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? He's automatically, he's just standing there automatically saying, How am I going to profit killing this big dude? I mean, look at all that, look at all that armor he's got on him. That stuff weighs a bunch. It ought to be melted down and do something with it, right? Everybody else sees the threat as, oh, and they panic and flee. And David says, man, how can I make something off this? And he said, well, he's just special. No. Well, he was special, but he was still just a human. But there was something going on in his thinking, and that's what I'm trying to tell you right now. It's just the same thing with you. You can be a David if you want to be a David because you, can, you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. If you want it, you can walk in it. There's nothing held back from you. You can't say, well, I wasn't raised right. Well, don't be blaming your parents. Come on, don't be blaming your parents. Don't be going to point the finger at them saying, well, if I'd have been raised in, on this side of the tracks versus that side of the tracks, it would have been easier for me. Well, that may be the truth. It may be easier for you, but it still doesn't mean you can't do it. I heard this psychologist talking the other day, and he said nine points that a person, if there's nine things a person would do, their whole life could change dramatically. And I was thinking, gosh, I wonder what this is. And all nine points, I can't tell you what they are. Not that I don't want to tell you what. I can't remember all of them. But it was very easy. It was like change your diet, uh, uh, exercise 30 minutes a day, uh, read a book. Just read for, it said read for 20 minutes. Uh, meditate, just sit down, stop, and be silent for 10 minutes. What was one of the other ones? Um, I don't remember, but they were so simple. There was nothing that was like, go to, you know, to Stanford University. No, no, no. It was nothing. It was all nine things were just something that all you had to do was do it and do it habitually. And your whole, it said your whole life would change. And I believe it because a lot of times people keep walking in the same rut, doing the same stupid thing over and over again. And if you just make some alterations, you begin to feel good about yourself and, you, you know, things could change. But my point is... This right here, I'm not telling you something that you're just sitting there saying, oh, pastor, he preached a good message there. Too, too bad we can't do it. I'm telling you, each and every one of you have the mind of Christ, and each and every one of you right now have more biblical knowledge right here in this room, more biblical knowledge than I can guarantee you at least half or three-quarters of the world today. So, well, I don't really know anything, but what you do know is more than half to three-quarters of what the world knows you already know the most important part, Jesus, right? And I'm telling you, when threats come, you just have to look at it this way, and you have to start to sit there and say, you got to get hold of your head and say, what about, whoa, how am I gonna make, how's this going to turn out good? We don't want to walk through problems, but we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's cursed, and we, we're stuck here. We are aliens. They're looking for aliens, and we're right here. It's you. The Spirit of God living on the inside of you. We will go to the mothership called heaven at death. David looked at him and said, oh, I can kill this guy. And he says something very important. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He did not look at the size. He looked to see what was his spiritual nature. He knew he was a Philistines, And he knew Philistines worshiped Dagon. But... He's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He put it on a spiritual level and said, this guy doesn't have a covenant with Almighty God. And I do. 
And he's standing right there with his brothers and a whole army of Israel that also knew this. But see, David saw the promises, not the threat. He's looking at how big God is, not how big Goliath is. Now, the fourth point here is you got to understand that practice makes perfect. All right? 1 Samuel 17, 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when the lion and the bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, he went after it and he struck it. He delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when he arose again, he caught it by its beard and he struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So David said to Saul, Well, then go do it. David said, Look, I've, I've already practiced this. There was a lion and a bear came and tried to steal one of my sheep. And I'm as in charge of the sheep, so he's stealing what's mine. And so I told him he couldn't have it, and I got my sling out, and I hit him in the head with a rock, and I got him by the, bear, by the beard, and I drug him back, and God did that for me. It's not going to be harder to kill that giant. He understood that he had already operated in the covenant principles of God. And folks, listen to me. Sometimes you have to start on the small things, believing God and working in them, but practice makes perfect. And the more you operate in the things of God and the more you see God deliver you from, the more faith rises within your heart. That is not the way way God wants it done, but that's the only way I know with humans we can make it work. God wants you just to believe his promises flat and just walk in them. But we need little baby steps. Hello? But practice does make perfect. So you believe God for the small things. You're needing finances. Believe God for the first, believe me for a dollar. Then when you get a dollar, believe him for, you know, the next amount. I've told you all this story. One day I was sitting in, a, in an office. I was building a, a, a large home. And uh, the, the Lord spoke to me. He says, Look, why don't you put me to the test in this? And I said, okay, what do you want me to do? He said, right, go give that guy $5. I said, $5? I said, Lord, that's a little embarrassing, $5. I mean, let me give him 50 He said, no. First thing you got to learn is you're going to be obedient. So it was one of my workers. I went up there to him. I got a $5 bill. Walked up to him and said, here, uh, this is going to sound really weird, but just take it and don't say nothing. Jesus told me to give you $5. God bless you. Here's $5. He's like, and then that day before I got home, a person walked up to me and said, you know, the Lord spoke to me today and told me to give you 50 And so then I said, oh, okay, God, I see how this is going to work. It's pretty cool. So I took the 50, and I said, what do you want to do with it? And he said, I'll show you. Just hold on to it. A few days goes by. Since he says, give that person that $50. I said, okay. Gave him the $50. I'm looking. person called me up and said, I need you to meet me at the church. I was like, oh, this is going to be a, something bad. Get to the church. person said, I, I'm, I, I've never had this happen to me before, but I know God spoke to me. I heard the boys said, God, so believe me, Glenn. <laughs> Tell me to give you $200. I said, well, give it to me. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission. Give me your 200, man. I got to got somewhere this is going. I kept doing that over a period of about four months until I have, was getting $5,000 at a time. And then I gave the 5,000 away. And the Lord said, okay, I just want to show you that lesson. And I was like, 10? Is there 10 coming? He's like, no, I just was showing you a lesson. I said, oh, okay. And he taught me something. My point is, oh, what are you going to look at? You're going to look at the world economy today are you going to sit around and look at the cost of groceries and the cost of everything else see i'm really i'm really bad like i will i will give away 
hundreds of thousands of dollars to rescue orphans or win souls. It makes me no difference, right? It's nothing to me. I would do it in a second if the Lord's in it, okay? But I, then at my own nature, I'm a tightwad. I don't want to spend no money on anything. And so I don't go anywhere. My wife does all the shopping. And then once the other day, I made the mistake. I went with her. And I was like, holy cow, put that back. We ain't buying that. We don't need that. That's ridiculous. She said, oh, look, the shirt's on sale. On sale? That ain't on sale. Put the thing up. We ain't buying a shirt. My old one looks good. But even if you try to do that, you're still, see, I'm not, I'm, I'm just being in my natural self. We got to look at what God can do. God's always bigger. So you keep practicing these things. And I got to get to the point here. In 1 Samuel 17, 29, David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Now listen to me, church. Hear this. Because this, I want, I want to drive it through your heart, this point. David says, is there not a cause? Why do you need to be a Christian who can walk in love? Why do you need to be a Christian who can operate in the gifts? Why do you need to be a Christian who can, can uh, defeat your own carnal flesh and kill it on the cross? Why do you need to do that? Because Jesus paid a price for you that's worth fighting for. You have been bought with a price. There is a cause. 1 Peter 1.18 says, Know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your father, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's the blood of Jesus that redeemed us. And folks, listen to me. If Jesus was willing to die for you, then at least we should be living for him. And those times when you don't want to be nice, you bite your lip and you say, I am going to represent Jesus and I am going to kill my flesh and nail it up on the cross and I'm going to walk in love because Jesus died for me to do that. Christians get it all messed up and they think that God owes us something. People get mad at God because they believe he didn't do something for them. And they get mad at him and they say, you know, they, they're like holding, want to, want to press charges against God. When the truth of the matter is, you would all be burning in hell, ravaged by the devil all your days here on this earth without the price that Jesus paid for us. And I never want to forget that. I never want to forget that my Jesus bled and died. When I read the scripture, I can hardly do it. I can hardly... Because in my mind, I get all crazy, like, what if I was there? What if I was there and I was one of the disciples, you know, not maybe the apostles, but sitting back kind of one of the disciples in town. They were taking Jesus and I'd run to my house and say, they're not going to, you know, when I saw him spit on him. So I'm lashing him, you know, I would want to run to the house. I'll tell you, I'd want to run to the house and get a gun. And I'd want to position myself right up there on the road when he's coming down it. Take a few Romans out. Swoop down, rescue my Jesus and mess the whole plan up. But you with me? But when I think about today, and I, and I get so angry when somebody says, well, God didn't do this, and I just, I just want to just smack them in the face. And, you know, you, you would stand no chance to even get into heaven. All you could be thinking about, you'd be, you, would be, you would be like the exercise king, of, and, and, and you would never let anything come into your body. Because if you thought that at your death you went to hell, come on, folks. 
You know, the doctor says, you need to exercise. And we're like, but if you knew hell was waiting you, you knew that your last breath, hell was waiting for you, would you not want to live in a rubber room where there would be no way you could possibly be killed? You couldn't prick your finger and get an infection off of a hangnail and die? Much less do the things that y'all do? Did you know, I don't know if you know this, but if you just go research it, the most dangerous job, the most dangerous job in the world, you know what it is? As a whole, farming and ranching. Because there's so much, you're always messing around equipment. Nobody ever keeps the guards and the calons on like they're supposed to. We're always messing around. You've got crazy animals that are going to run over you and stomp you and kick you, and the dumb horse is going to try to rake you off underneath the limb. But if you knew that if you died you were going to hell, I would think you would be doing everything you possibly could to stay alive. So you'd want the cushiest job, the easiest place. You wouldn't want to travel and drive a car from work to your house. You'd want to guard everything. You'd, be, you'd probably wear a metal helmet just because there might be a meteor little flick come off and hit you in the head and kill you. All I'm saying to you is, You've got to turn that around and you've got to look at it and say, Jesus saved us from that life. And his precious blood is what bought us and he bought us and redeemed us. And he already paid the price. He doesn't owe us anything. He gave it to us freely. And who are we to sit there and say, well, I think you should do this. Well, that person was mean to me and I think you should. Y'all better be glad I'm not God. Because, man, I'd be sending some fiery lightning bolts down. I'd be making some smoke. I'd be just like James and John saying, Lord, you want me to call fire down upon this village? Well, burn them, and then we'll see. By God, they'll straighten up. The precious blood of Jesus, folks, we've got to honor it. We've got to understand. Like David said, is there not a cause? There's a cause for living for God. There is a cause for letting Jesus live in our lives and, and, and change us and do whatever he wants to do with us and, and create in us a clean heart and make us right. I heard a, a speaker say this the other day. I can't take it. I wish I could have tell you all I was this smart to have thought of this. But they had looked up all the Hebrew words and, and studied this out. And when he said it, it was just like the Spirit of God. I, I just like, wow. That in... in, in uh, the, the, the Beatitudes, when it says the meek shall inherit the earth, it didn't mean meek like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It meant those that have been humbled and broken to the point they can only look up. Those people will inherit the kingdom. Not the haughty Christian said, oh, okay, I'll take this deal, but Lord, you need to get over here and get on the ball. I don't want to suffer. Don't you just love me? So when those threats show up in your life, when those threats come and they're sitting there talking trash, remember the precious blood of Jesus. And you say, oh, okay, <clears throat> I'm supposed to defeat this. Your legs may be trembling. You may be thinking, oh, but keep that smile on your face. Keep that look in your eyes and, you know, <clears throat> I love a good fight. I love a good fight. So, devil, you just come on. That's what you think you can do? No, my Jesus paid for me. His blood's over my life, and boy, you picked on the wrong person today. The very last, just last thing I want to give you is Romans 8, 28. And I just want you to know this last point is God always makes it work out. I can sit here from 30 years of pastoring in this church for the 40 years that I've been saved. I can tell you things have not always worked out the way I thought they were going to work out, but they always worked out, and I was always blessed and always grew through it. 
and always came out on the other end stronger than I was before when I went into it. And I have never seen my Jesus forsake me. I have never seen God not move. I have never, you know, been in a trap that he didn't get me out. Oh, yeah, when I got saved, I wanted just to, you know, flip the magic wand and things appeared and everything worked out perfect and no problems or anything like that. But I'm going to tell you all something. What I've walked through, some of you that, that know me from the early days, I mean, when I moved to Utopia with my family, my sweet, blessed family, my little kids, I, went, I moved into the worst haunted house in this town. It was a dilapidated, should have been burnt to the ground. It was infested with demons. That whole house, they had people that lived in there and there was dogs had just, you know, done what dogs do. All the corners were stained, the house, the bathtub. I'd never seen anything look that wicked in my life. When you look down the hole in the bathtub, you saw the ground. But God moved me here and he told me to do it and I did it. But man, I want to tell you something. In that place, I had an open vision. I, 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 for the very first time, began to understand the things of the spiritual realm. I saw demons. I saw angels. I've seen angels. I saw them right in the worst house there ever was. Matter of fact, when we moved out of the house, they tore it down. My daughter got baptized in the Holy Ghost in that nasty house. Had a vision of Jesus pouring uh, uh, water on her out of a vase. Got filled with the Holy Ghost, started speaking in tongues. In the nastiest place you could ever imagine. Well, it wasn't glory. It was terrible, but man, glory came. Hello? God always worked everything out for the good of those. Oh, and I had some crybaby moments where I whined and cried to God in the middle of it. And thank God, thank God that he is gracious. And I have thanked God that I went through that experience because of what I acknowledge I know that's solid rock in my heart and my faith right now that will not ever be moved because I've seen him do miracles. Cockroaches, unmeasurable in that house. Yeah. So God's going to work everything out because God's got you because he's paid a price for you because you belong to him. So, so stop being like a, a crazy cat and trying to bite the master's hand. We had a cat one time, got ringworm. The vet told me, well, you're going to have to bathe it in this solution. I said, you want me to bathe a cat? I said, I'll shoot it. I go home, my little daughter looks at me, she's like, Daddy, I love that cat. <laughs> so I got me a pair of welding gloves on, try to bathe the cat. <laughs> so quit trying to be like the, the cat that needs a bath with God. Let him give you a bath. Quit scratching and clawing because the other, the outcome of the other way is you're going to get shot. You got ringworm and God knows how to get it off of you. But that's what we do as Christians. We just fight God and fight God and fight God. We don't want him to do it. We're not going to tell oh, no, you can't take that. No, no, I want that. No, you need to do that. And we just fight him and fight him and fight him. When the whole truth is he's going to make everything work out for good if you'll just quit fighting and scratching and causing all you're doing is inflicting pain upon yourself. Amen? Amen. Well, put your Bible up. So I, I stand up if you would. And can I have my prayer team come down? Listen to me. Those of you that are out there, Watching the broadcast, I just want to know. I just want you to know, you may have ringworm. God wants to bathe you in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He wants to clean you up. He wants to help you, but you got to quit scratching. You got to quit fighting. You got to let God do it. And I'm just telling you right there, watching this broadcast, you can 
You can call out upon the name of Jesus right where you are. You can begin to tell him your situation going on right there in your life. And he will come in there and he will touch you and he will help you. And he will do miracles, whatever needs to be done for you. But you got to get out of the way. Quit scratching and let him do it. For those of you in here, that's why we have prayer team up here. They just want to believe God with you and pray with you. And you may be wormy too. And you may need some prayer today. And I'm going to generally pray over you, but... You may want to come up here and talk to one of these people and just say, hey, listen, just pray with me. I, I, I've got to, I, I see what Pastor was talking about, and, and I've let it, I've let the threat get to me. Would you agree with me today that I can walk in victory? That's all, all you may need to do. That simple act of stepping out may be just exactly what you need to change and alter your whole course. Amen? So I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, right now, just pray. Over each and every person, those watching, listening, these in here, Lord. That today that our eyes would be open, that we'd see the great price that you paid for us. The great price of the blood of Jesus that you paid for us. And that, Lord, we would desire to live for you. And that we'd be like David and we would rise up and say, is there not a cause? Because, Jesus, you gave your life for us. Is there not a cause to let you work in our life? Is there not a cause to defeat giants? And so, Father, today, I thank you that you sent Jesus to us. And, Jesus, I thank you you are willing to come. But I believe you, Lord, when the word says it in Hebrews 1, that when you sat down, you purged our sins, and you sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, that today you hear each and every one of these people's cries. You know right where they are. You know right what the threats are that have come against them. Maybe it's within their own hearts, but whatever the threats are, Lord, right now I thank you for delivering them, for sending the angel to open up the gate, to get the chains off, to get them free, Lord, where they can go out and they can be who you called them to be. So, Lord, I ask you to bless them today. Strengthen them today. Let their eyes be open and see it, Lord. And, Lord, we give you all the praise because you are King Jesus. You are King Jesus, and we're going to live for you because you died for us. Thank you, Lord. Bless them now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. We're here to pray for you.